0: Hey what's up guys this is episode 15 of the landscape photography show and on today's podcast we have guest josh snow Josh is a really good photographer who photographs a lot of scenes that are out west he spends a lot of time out on the road I mean I followed his whole process of decking out his like a whole adventure van mobile thing that he has going on and it was really fun to follow that I know he spends a lot of nights On the road in that van which I am actually very jealous of on this podcast I really wanted to have Josh on to get his side of landscape photography how he creates images what creativity is to him and then also a little bit about like composites how do people view composites that he's seen in the field some of his workshop clients you know what's their reaction to composite making and his photography and just how there is room for both sides of the spectrum people who shoot just straight up landscapes people who shoot more composite photographs and then also mixing the two together you can shoot both at the same time so enjoy today's episode The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up guys? Today on the podcast, we have Josh Snow with us. I've never actually talked with Josh on the phone before. I think we've messaged over social media or, like, commented on social media a couple times. But, Josh, I'm curious. Number one, thanks for coming on the show. And number two, how, how did you get started in landscape photography? Like, what's your backstory in it? Uh, well, thanks for having me, uh, for starters. Um,
1: I'd like to say that I started as a young kid with film, and my dad was a photographer, my grandpa was a photographer. Um, But really, I've always just kind of been the type of person that had a serious hobby or passion um, that just kind of took over my life. And every few years, that would kind of rotate out. Um, I'd reach a point where I just get too involved, uh, and then I just move on to something else, and I feel like I've just been on this quest to kind of find what I am meant to do in life, I guess, um, as cheesy as it sounds. But in 2012, I was dangerously overweight and I was working as an engineer, mechanical engineer, and <clears throat> I started to lose weight and get healthy. And uh, where I lived in the Finger Lakes area of New York, there was waterfalls and you know, these beautiful lakes and I started taking photos because my girlfriend was taking a college or a, a class in college uh, on photography just to, you know, it's like her last year and she needed a few credits. And I said, I'll just buy the same camera and we can kind of learn together. I learned pretty quickly. And, you know, when you go back to college and you come back, you know, we can go out and take photos together. Um, that was very near the beginning of of our relationship. And at the same time, I was really big into fishing and I was kind of traveling around doing a lot of fishing, fishing and some fishing tournaments. And that was kind of my big passion at the time. Um, But it was kind of phasing out. I was getting more serious about my job and being healthy and and working out all the time. And, but they were asking me to take photos for the articles I was writing because they were sort of technical. Uh, So they kind of dovetailed. And before I knew it, while we were hiking, I was just getting obsessed with taking pictures of all these waterfalls. And it was getting us out hiking more, which was motivation to keep exercising and losing a bunch of weight. And then I found filters. And because I'm kind of a gear nut, uh, using filters and and having like this whole technical side of photography really suited me. Uh, But growing up, I was really artistic. I was really creative. I had a Uh, art teacher that sort of followed me all the way from elementary school through high school she'd retire and then she'd come back as a substitute uh, and then ended up coming out of retirement to teach a class in in high school so I had this art teacher that really kind of fostered my creativity growing up and photography was never one of those mediums it was painting and sketching and drawing and um I lost touch with that creative side for years and years and years and got obsessed with everything else that wasn't very creative. And that technical side of photography, I think helped pull me in to a point where I could kind of reconnect with that creative stuff. And uh, once that happened, I was just full on hooked. And ever since then, I've just been full speed ahead, photography, everything, and really trying to hone my skills. And then I found teaching. (laughs)
0: that's really interesting though because a lot of people who are in photography are either one way or the other they're either very tech oriented and analytical and logical about everything and then the other side is kind of creative and and your background is an engineer how do you see it in the field or when you're creating a composition and a photograph how do you see the two sides working together well It's almost taken a dedicated,
1: conscious effort uh, to train my brain kind of to think like this. Because when I'm in the field, I have to, like, conceive an image before I can even see a composition. Like, I have to have this idea for something. And then I go out and I find it. Um, But it's the technical side of me, I think, that makes my compositions kind of cerebral. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but my compositions, they're not usually that complex. Um, And I try to keep them simple. Uh, And I think that, you know, I'm constantly thinking about like perspective blending and using different focal lengths. And how can I make this photo as sharp and as detailed as possible? So that it starts with just uh, trying to think creatively and come up with this concept or this idea that's going to be different or unique to me and then it's like all technical 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 field work what do i have to do to gather all of these components and then when i get to the computer it i have to sometimes sit there looking at a photo for a couple of days before i can kind of turn that technical side off and let the creative stuff start flowing again and a lot of times i have to you know goof around with a few images and kind of screw them in lightroom and then screw them in photoshop is almost like practice and then once I'm starting to feel a little bit more creative, I've, you know, I've done some stuff off my mind, I've stepped away for a day or two, then it just kind of flows. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it takes days, sometimes it takes weeks, sometimes it takes months before I'm, I'm really, truly feeling it again. Um, but it's, it's not easy. It's not like some people that seem like they can just, you know, flip a switch and they go from technical to super creative. Um. It takes a lot of effort for me to think that way.
0: So you see the field work more as technical and the post-processing side as creative. That's opposite is, is what I feel a lot of photographers see that as.
1: Well, I, I think the work involved in the field stuff is what I view as technical because it has to start with some concept or idea before I even know, you know what I have to do in the field mm. to capture it. You know, sometimes it's super simple and it's just a, you know, one focal length, you know, near far composition and it's not, it doesn't require all of that technical th- thought processes. But um, it usually starts with like a glint of creativity and then it's full board technical stuff and then right back to trying to be creative. It, a good example of kind of how my brain works is I built a camper van this spring because we were doing a lot of traveling. And I I kind of did nothing but that for 14 to 16 hours a day, every day for six weeks. And I could not even think of anything photography. I'd go to bed thinking about what I was gonna build tomorrow, how I was gonna build it, how it was gonna all come together. Uh, And then after I built it, it took me literally weeks before I could even take a photo after that. Like I had to completely change the way I thought about everything to get a better, different outlook. And then I could think creatively. I, I'm i like, sometimes I feel like I just think way too much about everything and uh, it's tough to shut it off.
0: It's, it's almost like you have a reverse photographic memory because you see everything first and then work it out as you go.
1: Yes, exactly. And that's, I think that's because of my engineering background. Maybe I did a lot of design work and you know, problem solving. So it's like, I have to come up with a solution before I can find the problem. I think kind of in the opposite, but like when I'm learning things, when I'm absorbing information and knowledge, I pick it up instantly.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I
1: I can't explain it.
0: That's very interesting. I've never heard any other photographer really talk about the creativity side and envisioning something before they get out in the field. Like, is that through research that you've done? Like you can kind of envision what you get when you go out there and then you see it for yourself. Well, sometimes, sometimes
1: it's just, you know, like I would say this year, it hasn't been as much like that because a lot of times I've just been traveling to places without doing any research at all. I'll just show up and then just kind of figure it out when I get there. Um, But you know, that's that's why i think kind of conceptualizing images helps me because once i'm in the field it gets it's pretty easy for me to find a composition pretty quickly um not always but sometimes which you know is probably pretty easy for most other photographers but for me it's super challenging to just show up it has always been historically challenging to show up on a location and then just be like composition wizard, but it's been, it's been getting easier, you know, like I'll see these people like, Oh, I went on this trip for two days and these are the shots I I took and they're like whole portfolio of a dozen images. And I'm like, Holy crap. Um, for me it would be like one or two images on a weekend trip because it takes me so long to kind of get in the groove.
0: Right. But it's it's been, it's been getting easier and easier. Mm -hmm. And, And do you think that's because of the way your mind works Um, yeah,
1: I think so. But I also think it's, yeah, probably mostly, mostly just because I'm, I'm always thinking about something and it's like, I realize it when I'm trying to teach somebody and they really want me to give them like as much information as I possibly can about how to take a nice photo. And then I start going through like all of the steps that I take when I'm thinking about taking a photograph and they're like, holy cow, like, how do you think about all of those variables at the same time? And I I just, my my short answer is that I don't know. Um, I'm just thinking my way through things all of the time and thinking and thinking and thinking. It's rare for me that it can just kind of happen. Like I just point my camera at something and it's a beautiful photo. I have to really think about it.
0: Let's stay with this thought process that we've been talking about. And going into... Emotion into photographs? Do you go along the same line of that where you envision the emotion or mood that you're putting into an image that is creative art or do you see that in the field? Do you see that in post-processing? Where's that coming out?
1: I would say probably my most dramatic or impactful images um, were taken with that in mind, like trying to capture this emotion, what I'm feeling, you know, sometimes what nature is presenting me and what I'm feeling don't coincide. But I think if you were to ask me, like, what are some of the most meaningful photos to me, in my portfolio, all of the ones I would choose would probably be during a time where I was going through something pretty hard. um, And like trying to dig my way out of it mentally psychologically, emotionally. Um, Sometimes the emotion comes out in a photo well after I've taken it. I you know, I took a photo because I liked it, it was technical, it was nicely composed. But it wasn't till months later when I processed it to where the emotion kind of went into it. Um, Sometimes it's captured, you know, and then processed later with less emotion.
0: Um, How much I, is it, is the emotion side though lost on photographers?
1: I think a ton. Um I I think because I am as as much of an emotional person as I am when I'm viewing other people's work, like I'm looking for that connection. When I look at somebody's work, I want to look at it and and feel what they were feeling, you know, feel their angst and feel their sadness or their happiness and their joy. I want to feel that. And I don't see that a lot. Um, I see, you know, a lot of photos that were taken because they were cool to take or, you know, that it just doesn't feel like there's as much emotion put into photography out there today as you know, maybe there was before or if there ever was, but I don't, I look at a lot of other work and I don't feel the emotion that I wish I felt.
0: Mm. now you mentioned like the health side of photography how else has photography helped you change as a person uh, patience
1: is probably the biggest thing yeah um the the most obvious thing but i'd like to say it taught me a lot about myself and at times i feel like it has i feel like i've learned all these valuable lessons from interactions and from decisions and choices and Every time it feels like that, I find that I'm still defensive of certain things. and um, Like what? Well, just, you know, lately I've been kind of getting a lot of, I'll say grief about, you know, certain images that I put out there that were, you know, extreme focal length blends or something like that. Um, I'm always super transparent and open about the processes I use when I create these photos. Um, And I like to really promote people thinking outside of the box and doing something creative and trying to find uniqueness. And it seems that I just get grief every once in a while for doing certain things, you know, doing a big perspective blend or doing, you know, a big focus stack. And it bums me out because I've just always been taught to be super creative. I've never viewed photography as a way to document things. You know, I've always looked at photography as a way to, create impact and emotion and make people feel things not not documentary style photography so i've always taken these liberties and and it's like my safe place it's like where i feel the most free and i feel like when that kind of comes under attack i get really defensive about it and i wish i could say that the photography industry has given me a thicker skin but i don't know if it has. And it's, it's definitely been, been wearing me down and, and weighing on me a little bit. And, and not just me personally, but I see it happen with other people, people that are, you know, getting kind of picked on or ridiculed for their creative choices. And it just bums me out. That's all. And it's hard for me to look away from that.
0: Well, why do you think there is a divide there? Well, I mean, obviously, certain people want to be
1: representing something in as realistic a way as possible, but and, and, you know, they're kind of against doing all these multi-image composite style photographs. And um, that's okay. I just, I think it's just society. People are very opinionated, myself included. Um, when I, you know, when I feel strongly about something, I I feel strongly about something. And I just think that I wish more people were open-minded. I wish the industry and even me sometimes I wish just everyone could be a little bit more open-minded. I mean, at, in the end of the day, it's, it's art. I think it should be viewed that way. And it, it's, to me, art is extremely subjective.
0: So how much focal length blending are you doing in each image? Not, it's not as, it's not even very often. I mean, I can mm-hmm. think
1: of, you know, just a, a handful of photos I have that have been perspective blended, um, you know, which is something that, Most of my favorite photographers do, uh, and a lot of other photographers do, Uh, which is so it's just weird that it seems certain people or general public are offended almost by the technique. But I think, you know, I shoot a lot of wide angle near far compositions. And I think we can all agree that when you're shooting at 14 millimeter, anything that's in the middle of the frame is distorted in a not good way. So, I mean, most of the time, it's just in an effort for me to try to rectify that perspective or adjust, you know, kind of make it more like our eyes perspective. But you know, that in particular, one shot I have is of Mount Whitney and I shot it with a really long focal length and then everything else closer to me, I shot really, really wide. Uh, So it's a bit unnatural, but it was kind of done after the fact i didn't really shoot it with the intent to blend it and and i was in like a real deep creative funk for a couple of months Um, and it broke me out of it it was like a a creative day in the lab and i you know created this really cool image and um, used a lot of techniques that i had kind of forgotten about and it broke me out of this rut for that i had been in for months months and months so it was you know, that's, that's why I like to be creative because it can, it can make you happy.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, Josh, I can almost hear like the distress in your voice, or maybe even the disappointment in your voice that you get pushed back on some of this blending.
1: Sometimes, but I have to keep trying to remind myself that it's, you know, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's good that Other people don't want to do these things, or other people don't agree with it because it's going to allow for more room to be unique and creative without everybody shooting the same scenes over and over and over again. Um, But I do, I do have some distress about the industry and, you know, about this whole thing in general, but it's uh, that's on me mostly.
0: Hey guys, just to pause real quick, it's the new year, you know, one of your goals may be, I want to get better at landscape photography this year. Well, today's sponsor is visualwilderness.com and if you want to get better at landscape photography, I think this is like one of the premier places that you need to be going to learn how to improve your photography because you have tons of articles, you have tons of courses on post-processing, infield techniques that are gonna help you elevate your game as a landscape photographer. I'm a contributor on that site right now. You can get for a limited time my courses that are available on there for 33% off if you use the code David33 during checkout. If you want to see those links on where you can get those, you can go to today's show notes at davidjohnstonart.com podcast. Also, if you don't want just my courses, right now you can get a very cheap membership for everything that they have on that site. So you can pay a fraction of the cost of what it would be to get one of my courses, and you can have access to everybody's courses every single month. So again, if you want links on that, if you want to know how to improve your photography for the new year, go to davidjohnstonart.com podcasts. Back to today's episode. Where do you see the industry going in the next few years? Uh, you know, people are using new techniques kind of implementing them in new ways we have new technology coming out with post-processing with all of this divide or or rift if you want to call it that um where do you see the industry going with it it's tough to say um i mean
1: obviously my approach to this is deviating i think from the path of photography you know, I've, I've never really viewed myself as much a photographer as I am an artist, and I try to ride that slant a little bit, where photography is just my, my medium of choice. Um, so I think the photography industry is fine. You know, I think it's going to keep going the direction it's going to be. Camera companies are going to keep making, you know, higher tech cameras, and workshops are going to keep getting more and more abundant. Uh, And I think it's just going to keep going that way. And there's going to be, you know, these people that want to learn all these cool creative techniques and then, you know, maybe they'll find me and that's cool too. Uh, But the industry as a whole, I mean, I think it's going to keep going fine. And it's been interesting watching this Instagram thing kind of grow and kind of propel the photography boom. And now seeing what's happening with, you know, the direction it's going in. Um, That's going to be interesting to watch
0: anyway. In in what way? What do you mean?
1: Uh, It just seems like they're changing the algorithm. People are, I'm noticing anyway, that people are complaining about getting, you know, less reach and less interaction. And sure, that sucks because as artists, we want people to see our stuff. But I think it's going to start filtering out more creative people. You know, all of these people that are, clamoring to you know be a business and and do photography industry related things or influencers um i think i'm hoping anyway that it's going to start driving some more creative um, thinking people are going to start trying harder to be more creative and, and different so that i'm excited for um but it's it's this whole you know Turning off the light count on photos and stuff. I guess they've been doing it in Europe for months, and some people say nothing's changed. Um, but I think in America, we're going to see a lot of people really upset by the influence of Instagram um, soon if they if they're planning if they do what they're planning on doing anyway. I haven't really. I don't really know uh, all the ins and outs of it. It's just kind of what I've been hearing and and seeing this Instagram thing. But yeah, I can already sort of see a little panic.
0: Well, it's it's almost funny to me. And you mentioned the panic and and people getting upset. I I kind of take the approach of like they really don't owe us anything, and oh, we my God, actually no. have zero leverage on that platform because it is free. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if we were paying for our profiles, it might be a little bit different, um, but literally they owe us Nothing. zero. Yeah.
1: Like I couldn't have had a business if it weren't for Instagram. I mean, things are different now. I, I think I'm getting close to not needing Instagram or at least not e- needing Instagram for business, um, which is great. That'll be a good day that I can say, I don't have to be on Instagram today. Um, but yeah, you're right. It owes us nothing. I mean, how many people have grown you know huge businesses and made these built these legacies just based on Instagram for free. It's been kind of incredible to watch happen and in the other side of it is that think about all of these highly creative people in all forms of of things, music and, and dance and and all kinds of things that have been able to have a chance at being somebody that never would have had an opportunity before without social media or without Instagram.
0: You know, it, it's it's funny to me. I want to get your thoughts on this. People outcry against Instagram, Facebook, whatever, when they change the algorithms. I mean, Zuckerberg owns both of those now, I guess, since he bought Instagram uh, and is CEO of Facebook. But why is there outcry on those platforms? But when platforms that can also help photographers, something like a YouTube platform makes an adjustment to their algorithm or makes an adjustment to their policy, there isn't really a lot of outcry there. You know, YouTube is a world
1: that I've never gotten into. Um, you know, a lot of photographers are really well known right now just based on YouTube. Um, So I'm surprised that we don't hear more stuff about YouTube like we do Instagram and Facebook, because I have to imagine it could be impactful to the people that are making a living based on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But maybe the changes aren't as severe or maybe they're not as impactful. I don't really know because I'm not in that world. Um,
0: Do you thrive in a workshop setting?
1: As a student or as a teacher, as a teacher, I absolutely do. Um, absolutely. And a lot of times, like when I am experiencing like a personal creative drought, being with a group of students instantly, almost instantly helps me out of it. Um, I definitely feel cause most of the time I'm pretty introverted. Most of the time I'm not around groups of people. So when I'm on a workshop, you know, it's like my dose of interaction and it's always good for the soul to have that, especially with like-minded people, especially with people that are super interested in learning about what you love to do. Uh, Definitely like that whole atmosphere.
0: How do you organize yours? I mean, in a teaching setting, the way your mind works, the way you organize photos and plan things out if somebody comes on a workshop with you, what do they see on a day-to-day basis?
1: Well, I really have found that people enjoy knowing as much about the process as possible. Um, I'm trying to think how how to phrase this concisely. Most people that come to work with me are familiar with my work. They're familiar with the techniques that I use. So they come very eager to learn those techniques. Uh, sometimes we, you know, we'll, we'll get people that are not quite as advanced and sometimes the technical things that we go through on a workshop, if we have a, a majority of the group that is a little bit more advanced, will be a little bit confused at the end. Um, But most of the time, they're really focused on trying to be as creative as possible in terms of thinking outside of the box. How can we approach this location differently than it's been approached before? Uh, So it kind of starts with that. We pick locations that are diverse, that are really interesting, that have um, a lot of different qualities and different lessons that can be learned. You know, like we just opened up an Iceland workshop. Uh, Our first international workshop next September, and we're hoping that just sending it out to the alumni that that will fill just with previous students. Um, But the whole emphasis on that workshop is going to be kind of long exposures. We're going to be shooting a lot of waterfalls and then hopefully the northern lights. Uh Um, So we kind of try to gear each workshop to include a, a slew of certain techniques that lend themselves well to these certain areas. And it kind of changes from workshop to workshop depending on location. Um, but when they come on to a workshop, I, I often hear that they're a little bit different than other people's workshops. I don't shoot a lot on a workshop. Um, I'm very attentive or try to be. Um, we spend a lot of time in the field, but we have a lot of time where we spend in class covering a lot of these techniques, starting with Lightroom and finishing usually, hopefully if we get there with print preparation and we talk about even the most technical of things, color spaces and all that stuff. Um, So it's very technical, but very creative. I try to give people as much of both as I can in a way that makes sense. Uh, for, for a lot of people's learning styles, I guess.
0: I'm, I'm curious. You have these uh, focal length blended photos. Have you ever had somebody come on a workshop who has seen some of those images and they go out to the same location with you and they're kind of like this? It doesn't actually look like this. Never in real life. Never, never have I
1: had that happen. In fact, I was just having a conversation a couple of weeks ago where somebody brought up that point and they were really passionate about that being an issue. Um, But I have never, ever, ever once heard anybody say anything about, Oh, that doesn't look like your picture. And I think it's because I try to be as transparent about it as possible. I'll post right in the caption of a photo when I've released it these are the techniques used and this is why. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the same time, I usually have other photos of these locations that aren't perspective blended. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's usually not an issue. And compared to a lot of the complaints that I hear about, you know, photography in general or being on a workshop or going to these places and being misled.
0: uh, I've never
1: ever had that come up ever.
0: Well, that's good. I think, I think that right there in and of itself is showing that the progression of landscape photography is diving into more creativity and more fine art expression. And I love it. And I will tell you without
1: question, the most popular two techniques that I'm asked about on every single workshop is focus stacking and perspective blending. Every Mm. single workshop. And and not just from younger people either. Which is really cool to see middle-aged, older people excited about flexing their creativity.
0: It sounds like they get pretty jazzed up about it.
1: Sometimes, sometimes they're like, oh man, I didn't realize it was this much post-processing work or this much field work. But 9 out of 10 people are Super excited about it. Super excited about learning a technique you know, that can allow you to capture a place in a completely unique way. Uh, not to say that perspective blending is unique because a ton of people do it. I think way more people do it than are open about it. Um, or they just don't talk about it because they don't feel like it needs to be talked about, which is I'm on the fence about because I, do, I don't want to mislead people. I don't want to, you know, like I would never blend a Milky Way into you know like a southern hemisphere milky way in a north facing north hemisphere composition but never do anything like that to mislead somebody um and i think that's important i think the grief i think the the grief should be with the images that are created in that way without being explained i think that's if there ever does become a problem i hope that's why and not not from the technique in general
0: What's more difficult for them to to wrap their head head around though if they come on a workshop with you, that those technical aspects that are a little more advanced in the field and post processing work or the emotional side of it, trying to in, embrace that part of photography? Oh man, I think it's gotta be equal.
1: I think a lot of people that I've I've had the opportunity to work with, um or I think most people in general that are getting into photography don't always know why they're taking photos of a certain place other than if this is a cool location or this is a cool iconic location I've seen millions of photos of this place um, so trying to convince people to not think that way to not be predisposed to an area or a composition because they've seen it a million times and to think sure about the elements of composition and what makes a cool, dynamic, interesting composition uh, is really tricky. Um, I try to spend a lot of time in the field with my groups so that they have time to relax and time to breathe and time to wander and hopefully strike some sort of connection. Uh, We talk a lot about light. We talk a lot about directionality of light we talk a lot about how composition works and and what certain things make interesting compositions and um getting people to think differently is challenging Uh, i think a lot of times people pick up the more technical things easier than that Um, but some people are incredibly creative and you know they come up with things that i may not have even considered or thought of
0: is teaching your favorite part of photography?
1: It's right up there. I mean, it's definitely my has become a driving force for me. Uh, I I there's still something special for me about taking you know one or both of my dogs and then just driving out to some random location for a week and and just shooting when I feel like it, like when I feel excited. Um, that's still got to be my favorite part of photography, but um, teaching has definitely definitely become a, a, a big part of my passion for this. Uh, and it's weird because if you asked me in 2013 when I was first learning photography, um, t- teaching probably was never on the radar. But it, within two years, I found that I was already – trying to reach into that world and i had done my first uh, waterfall photography workshop in new york in 2015 or 14 so quickly quickly i i found that a way to connect with other people that maybe thought more like me um would be a a good thing and it just kind of spiraled from there
0: You mentioned your van that you, that you redid and it's a sweet rig. I got to tell you, (laughs) I followed you building that on Facebook and Instagram and kind of watched the progression of it and was envious the entire time. It has been Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It has been so much fun. I
1: mean, there is a bunch of things that I would do differently next time uh, and will do differently next time, but it has been so much fun. I I probably spent seven months this year combined living in that thing with my girlfriend and two dogs.
0: So you're basically like almost full time in that. This year, this year
1: was basically full time. Yeah. yeah. We had, we had friends kind of house sitting for us for almost the entire year.
0: That's crazy, man. I, I couldn't do it.
1: You know what? Again, just like teaching photography, I never could have thought that living in a van would be as much fun as it is. But being able to wake up in a different place like every other day or every day. um, This is just a really cool feeling. And we're
0: go ahead. Sorry.
1: uh, You know, like being caught in a rainstorm is really cool. You know, it's like just hearing the rain tink down on the roof. I, I sleep. When we're on the road traveling, I sleep better than I do at home by a long shot, you know, just the feeling of being out there. And and usually the way it goes, because I'm terrible at working on the road is when, when I'm home, I will work 12 or 14 hours a day on things, planning workshops, updating the website, doing whatever. So that when I go out on these road trips, I'm really not thinking about work as much. Um, I try to be kind of as disconnected as I can when I'm out. And it's, Mentally helpful.
0: Well, where are you taking that van in 2020? What do you have coming up? Uh, I think I'm going to try to get up to the Canadian Rockies in January.
1: Uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to drive yet. Uh, I might drive because I'm interested to see how the van handles um, in those kind of conditions, those cold conditions. Um. In February, I'll be out in the Eastern Sierras again. I'm hoping that I'll be there during some moodier weather than historically have. I usually go there a little bit later in the year, so I'm hoping that by going there when it's been, when they get more of their moisture, what little moisture they get, that I'll be there for that. And then probably be in Oregon in the Pacific Northwest again for a month or so in May to June and then glacier again for about a month in July to August. And then I don't know, I kind of actually plan on being home a little bit more next year than I was this year. Uh, It was really tough kind of being gone and then coming home and trying to get right back into the swing of things and being, you know, only for like a week and then leaving again. And, um, this year was, was tough. And, um, I kind of, I didn't do any private workshops or anything this year, just a handful of them when I knew I was going to be home for a little while. So those are always really fun for me, private workshops. I really enjoy those. So looking forward to doing more of those again next year. So trying to be home a little bit more is going to be the objective, but still trying to wander to more places I have not spent much time in. I'd love to get back to Yellowstone in winter months would be really great. Um, I kind of just... Spent three days in there unwinding from Glacier this year and and would love to go back and spend more time with a little bit more focus on photography. Um, I'd love to explore the Tetons a little bit more, uh, and I would really like to spend some time in Idaho. Uh, I was back there with my, my best friend Jesse Moran back in 2017 for the Eclipse but we didn't really have a lot of time to explore, and the Sawtooth Mountains and the Wind River Wind River Range uh, looks incredible. And you know, people are just starting to scrape the surface on exploring these places more into the backcountry. So it's interested. I'm I'm getting more and more excited about it every time I see a new photo from the area.
0: Awesome, man! Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your thoughts. About the world of photography, this weird thing we all love and, and how we're all connected in it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's probably weirder to me than to most people because I'm a weirdo. But um, yeah, I, I, thank you so much for having me on and uh, I hope I didn't bore you to death.